Um, but crowds are an interesting thing. We, we run into crowds. We see them different places. Um, I thought I'd kind of start with a little story here about a crowd um, that we dealt with once. When I was about maybe three, four months pregnant, probably, um, we went up, like we do every year, to Oshkosh for the EAA Air Venture event, which is the world's largest aviation event. Uh, it's held up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin every year. We have gone every year. John and I have gone ever since we were like, you know, teenagers, and we've never really missed and always loved to go. Well, years and years ago, when I was expecting Shelby, we went up, we flew up with um, John's dad. It was just John, me, and his dad. And we flew into Fond du Lac Air, Airport. <laughs> oh, Grandma. You're going to might have to make, she wants grandma now, so that's going to be a problem. <laughs> um, we flew into Fond du Lac, and if you've ever been to a big air show, they, they land like four airplanes at a time, so it's crazy scary and stressful. But as dad was flying in, we got done, we had to, you know, fly in there and then be bussed into the event, because it's so huge. And as we're there waiting for the bus to come get us, we're all standing in line, everything's great until the bus showed up, and then all of a sudden, everybody made this mad dash of the crowd to go hurry up and get on the bus first. And in doing that, they pushed me, and John's dad, if you ever knew him before, he was not a person that put up with much of anything. He was just disgusted. I cannot believe crowds like this. They're just terrible. This is a horrible bunch of people. I'll never come back. And you know, he never, ever did. <laughs> he never did. He never went back. He said, if people have to act like that, I'm done with them. I won't go back. So he had enough of crowds. And I don't know if you guys are that way. Maybe you're not a crowd person. I'm really not a crowd person. I'm kind of one of those people when it's that big of a crowd, I'm like, I kind of have to stay on the edge so that I can escape easily if I need to, because I don't want to be all right up there where I can't get away, you know? But crowds have an interesting dynamic to them, don't they? There's all sorts in a crowd. There's a lot of different people that are in crowds. Well, today being Palm Sunday, I thought we'd talk a little bit about the crowd. You know, Palm Sunday, like I said, is the first day of the Holy Week, which leads up to Jesus, you know, dying on the cross for our sins. So I decided to focus in on a bit on the people that were there, the people that were in the crowd that day that witnessed Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. And, you know, all four of the Gospels, they describe this event to us. And, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have sayings about what exactly went on there. Each person obviously given a little bit different insight to what exactly took place. You know, some people saying that, you know, well, it doesn't make sense. There's four different people. They describe the event, and they're different. You know, some people get hung up on those little details. One person saying, you know, well, one time it says there's a colt. It's just one donkey, and the next time there's two. And which one is it? You know, people say, I don't know if I can trust anything that's said in the Bible. But, you know, I think the Bible is just like us, isn't it? If you told a story, you're going to notice certain things about different events that took place, or you're going to notice the fact that you maybe skim over some things that really don't get mentioned, that other people would mention. Well, in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what, the, what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, 
and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It's kind of an interesting thing when you think about the dynamics of who was there in that crowd that day. There was a lot of people in there for different reasons. Um, many of the people were there just basically because it was the, the season of Passover, the holiday that actually celebrates the deliverance of the Israelites from slavery. And the Passover that took place when God poured out his judgment on those people. And what he said was, if you are a follower of mine, if you are my people, then go and put blood on the doorpost. And when I come through, I will pass over and your firstborn sons will not die. So they were there to celebrate this event. They were there to celebrate this time together. And it's really surprising because I think if you watch the old shows, maybe on television, you know, the Cecil Bill De, B, uh, B. DeMille, I think his name for some reason can't say it today, but the old like Charlton Heston moments when you see these different events or you see the Prince of Egypt, a lot of times we think of how it probably went, the people that were there. And in my mind, I think I thought there was less people there than what the Bible actually says or what, you know, um, historically is proven to have taken place. It actually says that there's probably was two million people that were there at that event. Isn't that crazy when you think of it? I didn't imagine that. I imagined just a small group of people, not very many, that were there when this took place. But it says that there was two over probably two million people that were there. So this wasn't a small crowd at all. It was this huge crowd filled with people who had many differing opinions on who this Jesus was that was riding into the city. Obviously, they, like I said, there was those Passover visitors, you know, from outside of Judea, maybe knowing nothing about Jesus, maybe really expecting nothing of this Jesus at all. And then there was those people that actually followed Jesus for a long time, that had been following him for maybe a couple years already, and saw him go and do these miracles in places. Saw him heal the blind and, you know, heal people from leprosy and, and bring them from dead to life, and maybe saw him and were there when he brought Lazarus, his friend, back to life. And then among the crowds, too, were the religious leaders, those who didn't really want Jesus to get any bigger in that area. They noticed that he was becoming way too powerful, way too much of a crowd following him, and they wanted to stop him. And so that's why they were there. So it's safe to say that not everybody had the knowledge, too, of the scriptures. Nobody, you know, there's so many people that really don't today still know what the scriptures say. They don't understand what the Bible's telling us. And at that time was no different. There was people there that didn't know that the, the old books of the Bible actually talked about the fact that this was prophesied. This was going to take place in this way. This was a prophecy that was made hundreds of years before by the prophet Zechariah. And he said in Zechariah 9.9, he said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, 
riding on a donkey's colt. So a lot of people didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't know what to expect when they saw this. They probably thought, what is this? If they didn't have that expectation, they were probably kind of like thinking, this is pretty crazy. So I'm sure some people probably just thought, this is kind of comical, right? This is kind of a comical situation. To see a grown man riding on a baby donkey, be it looking like he's victorious, So there's probably some people that were really there thinking, this is just dumb. This isn't anything great. And then I'm sure that there was probably some, like I said, they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't understand the prophecy. They didn't understand that this was all foretold. And this is proving the fact that this is the king who's coming to deliver them. Like I said, there was, I'm sure, the Roman soldiers who were there laughing Because when they went into battle and they came out victorious, what they did was they'd have a parade for them, and they would come riding in on a chariot or on a great steed, a horse that was there and proved that they were manly, not coming in to a city on a donkey like that. So to be sure, there were a lot of people in the crowd, lots of different people with different opinions on who this Jesus was then. And it's no different today. It's the same people today that still have differing opinions on who this Jesus is. You know, when we talk about God and we talk about how he wants to deliver people from their sins, that he wants to save them and and have them have an opportunity to, to reach heaven and be with him for eternity, there's a lot of people that have a lot of differing opinions on if that's true or not. So the same things that were thought years and years ago when Jesus went to the cross, when he came into the city, are the same things that we're all still thinking today. Nothing's changed, right? Maybe the vehicles that are used, but nothing else has really changed. People are people, and they still had those same thoughts. We still wonder, was Jesus simply a man? Was he just a man? Somebody that claimed to be something? Was he a prophet? Was he a teacher? Was he just a teacher, someone that knew things and taught people? Was he a liar? When he was telling people this, was he just outright lying? Is it not true at all? Or is he truly the savior of the world? Is he the one that's actually come so that we can have life again and life everlasting? You know, Jesus lived this amazingly interesting life when you think about it. And you think about the fact that Jesus was, from the minute he was born, literally lived in the shadow of death constantly. I mean, right when he was born, there was people that wanted to kill him. And so he lived that all the time. You know, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about Jesus growing up. There's a couple stories, like when he gets, you know, goes and goes with the leaders of the religious leaders and his parents are looking for him and a couple things. But there's really not a lot of when he's growing up. But kind of in the back of my, my mind, I kind of wonder how many times people really did try to kill him. You know, those that were the enemies of the cross that wanted to get him. You know, from the very beginning of his ministry when he was 30 years old, because Jesus was really, really good that he actually followed all the rules. You know, in in Jewish tradition, you're not allowed to go do ministry until you reach the age of 30. So all the time, from the time he was born until the time he turned 30 years old, there was a life lived. But for then, for the next three and a half years when he walked around and he tried to teach people about how good God can be and how he was the path, 
that actually leads to them. And he was feeding people, and he was healing people, and he was doing all these different things. He accomplished a lot in three and a half years, didn't he? When you think about how far his message traveled. The fact that we are 2,000-some-plus years later still talking about this God. To me, I think that proves more than anything that he's not just a mere man or a teacher, that he had to have been more than that. I don't think people would follow someone that was just not true. I think there's people that have led people to other people to come to know Christ because it is a real thing. It's a true thing. But, you know, Jesus had this interesting experience that every time that he did go heal people and and heal them from blindness and leprosy and he brought people to life, what he would tell them is an interesting thing. He would say many times, he'd say, go home and tell no one because it's not my time. Isn't that interesting when you think it? Because wouldn't you think that if he had very little time, and you know it's all foretold, he knew he didn't have long to live, you would think that he'd go around saying, you know, go tell everybody what I did for you. But instead he said, don't tell anyone right now because it's not my time. And it was because of the fact that certain things had to be in place before it was his time. And Palm Sunday was his time. This is when it all started to make sense, when it all took place, is Palm Sunday. See, certain people had to be in place at the time. Certain people had to be in the crowd. Just like me, I wasn't until I was 28 years old. You know what? God knows when and where you need to be to have an opportunity. And I think he knew certain people had to be in place. And certain people who were opposers to his word and what he was trying to share had to be there then. When it was finally his time, what it did was that it forced everybody that was in authority around him because they had to finally do something publicly about what he was saying. So it actually revealed that it was his time because they were going to take him and kill him. And I think it also gave everybody an opportunity in the crowd to take a closer look into their hearts. I think for them to see what they truly believed at that moment. And I think it's no different now. It's exactly what we come into here in Palm Sunday today. It's this moment that we take back, we go back to time, and we see those faces in the crowd that were there that all thought different things. And now today, we look inside our own hearts and think, what is it that we truly believe about this Jesus? Just like today, some in the crowd felt nothing. Nothing. They felt nothing at all. It's like, it's nothing. It it means nothing to me. I don't care. You know? Some people here, maybe, listening online, some hated him, and they don't even know why they hated him. But there was just this deep-down hatred. This light is, is too bright. I want nothing to do with it. Some were following around basically because they just wanted something from him. They were being fed by him when they were hungry. They were being healed when they needed to be healed. There's stories all the time through the Bible that you see there's people that were healed that probably didn't still follow. And the thing is, when Jesus rode in, what a lot of them thought was that he was going to become their earthly king. Not their godly king, but their earthly king, that he was going to put into place everything that needs to be put into place and stop the Romans from doing what they were doing. 
Some of them who knew the scriptures and knew what they said were still skeptical. They saw this guy riding in on a donkey's colt, and they were still like, I don't know, though. This still might not be the guy. Would he actually show up that way? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's not true what they'd written in there. Maybe that's not even the case. But I think there were some there that truly believed, truly believed in him. And I think they were the ones that were actually really yelling out loudly. They were the ones that were there praising him with all their might, that they were there and saying, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done and you're going to continue to do. And they were there in the crowd also. Luke 19, 36 through 44 says, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heavens. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Those people who truly loved him were yelling and praising and saying, Hosanna, save us, because they knew he was the true answer to their lives. But I think still among them that were yelling out were some still that were just kind of going along with the crowd. Maybe they didn't necessarily believe it, but they were saying it. Maybe saying, Jesus saved me, but not really believing it truly. And I think it's kind of revealed through that when you go on in the story. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. I think Jesus was wise enough and God enough to look in the crowds and see who was who they say they really are. I think he could look and see and say, yes, you might be praising me, but that's not what's in your heart. For those that were really, truly praising him and he saw it, he was like, yes, those are my true followers. Those are the ones. I think it's interesting, that story, when you think about that. When Jesus is riding in, he probably had more people praising him than ever before. And instead of being happy and joyful, he weeps. He weeps, he cries. I think it's because he knew that so many still didn't believe in him. And he is a God that loves us and wants everyone to come to him. You know, I think some, like I said, they're just going along with the crowd. And I think we can be guilty of that sometimes. I think when we sing songs of praise to God, sometimes we can get caught up in the moment. We sing lyrics that we don't mean. God, you're everything to me. I only want you. And he says, that's not true. That's not true at all. That's not how you really believe and how you feel. I think the thing is we can get caught up with the crowd and we can say things that we don't necessarily believe in our hearts. And I think that's what kind of breaks his heart. Because he says, you know what? I'd rather you just be cold or hot. Don't play the game. Don't pretend. 
You know, I think Jesus saw it time and time and time again. No matter where he went, it was those same people, those same faces in the crowd over and over again who either didn't believe in him or who hated him, those who only wanted something from him, those who were pretenders, and then those who really loved him. I think he saw it all the time, everywhere he went. I think he saw those same faces when he was feeding the 5,000 and when he was feeding the 4,000. I think he saw those faces when he went out on a boat because there were so many people on the shore that he couldn't possibly talk to them all. So he had to go out on a boat and be on the water so that he could address everyone. And I'm sure when he looked in those faces, he saw who was real and who wasn't, who was pretending or who just wanted something from him again. I think Jesus saw the crowds and saw people fighting through the crowds sometimes to get to him. I think Jesus was there and saw the crowds that were so tight that you couldn't get through, that some faithful men wanted their friend to be healed and actually went and fought through the crowds and climbed up on the roof and dug a hole through the roof so they could lower their friend down so that Jesus could touch that man and heal him. Jesus saw it all. He saw those people that were taking up the space and probably had no interest whatsoever in what he was offering. He saw the crowds when the woman had to fight through it so that she could touch the the hem of his robe so that she could be healed of the issue of blood. He saw those faces, those same faces, those faces in the crowd all the time that he was like looking into their heart when he saw their faces. I think he was so used to them because they were following him everywhere. You know, it didn't start out that way. You know, at the end, we see these crowds, and they're all following him, but it didn't start out that way. I mean, the whole story begins that it was just one simple man going out in the wilderness and saying, you know, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Come to me. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Change your life. It started out simple. It started out with not a crowd at all. Just a simple man in the wilderness that people had to go to. And not everyone there was who they were supposed to be, too. John the Baptist himself said, You brood of vipers, who told you to flee and come to me? See, the thing is, God is God. Why do we believe that we can pull one over on him? You never can. He can see into our heart. I always kind of think about the fact that we get caught up sometimes in, in how we dress and how we look and, you know, whether or not somebody looks godly enough. And I've said for years, even teaching the youth, I'd say, I don't know if God sees us that way at all. Maybe he doesn't see us as the human form. Maybe he just sees our hearts. Maybe he just sees how dark they are or something like that instead. Maybe there's not this outward appearance, but maybe he just sees into our hearts if we truly love him, if we don't. Also, we had the experience when it started out, it wasn't a crowd. It was just two simple fishermen right at the beginning. You had Andrew and Peter that were there fishing. He said, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come to me, and your lives can be changed. You know, I think the crowds always had the same things all the time. Always the same people in it. You know, the curious, those who don't know what to expect, the confused, the ones that don't know what to think, 
the pretenders, those who say something they don't mean, the opposers, those who really do not love him and want to kill him, and then the committed. You know, what's interesting about God is he loves them all. And I think that's why I love him so much. Because in my human nature, I'm not as kind. I'm not as loving. There's a lot of times where I look at people and say, come on, get to it. Get busy. Get doing something with your faith. It's long enough. You're just straggling behind all the time. Get busy. And I don't have the patience to deal with them. But God does. It's interesting that he loves them all. He loved all those people, no matter where they sat in the crowd, the faces of the crowd. He might have been frustrated, but he always loved them. I think Jesus could always see what was behind that face or maybe the mask that they were wearing. Matthew 9.36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I think when Jesus rode into that city, he saw all those faces and he loved them all. And I think when he went to the cross days later and when he was on that cross and he was dying, the amazing thing is he still loved them all. Even when they were calling out, crucify him, kill him, kill him, he loved them. Luke 23, 34 says, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't understand. They don't get it yet. And I think that's exactly what he thinks when he still looks at us today. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When we don't come close, when he offers us so much and we keep him at arm's distance and we say, no, no, I don't want none of this yet. The thing is, he still loves. He still loves us. 2,000 years plus years later, the faces in the crowd are the same. There's nothing different. The only thing different is the vehicles we're driving. <laughs> the same people are still there. The same people still have the problem. I think he still sees all of us in the crowd today. I think he can see right through us. He can see if you're curious. He can see if you're confused or if you're pretending or if you're against him or if you're truly committed. He can see it. Being Palm Sunday, I think it's something for us to think about. I think this idea of going into this week, understanding where Jesus was going to go, that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die for our sins. Quit making it about our sins. You know when life changed for me is when I realized that he did it for me. For me. He went to the cross for my sins. That's when it changed for me. Because I realized, wow, he loved me that much. He says he would do it for one, what he did for everybody. That blows my mind to think that he is so good and so loving that he cared so much for me. I understand you're no different. I, like Paul, was the vilest of sinners, the worst of the worst. And he loved me. Understand, you're, no too, you're not too far from God, ever. He loves you. So be in Palm Sunday with your face in the crowd. Let me, let me just say, if you're curious, I pray that you're going to get all the answers that you need to see that he's real. If you're confused, 
I pray that he fills your mind with all the truth and knowledge of him that you need to make that decision. If you're pretending, I pray that you're going to start leaving that phoniness aside. Quit playing the game and get in the real game. You know, play the game for real. Quit faking it. Allow God to truly start to work in your heart. If you're opposed, I simply pray that you open yourself up to God and you ask him to show you how real he is and how much he loves you. And if you're committed, I pray that you just give it your best effort. All out. Fight the fight. Go the distance. Race the race. Continue on. Don't give up. Don't let anybody cut in on you. Don't let anybody stop you from this. This is the most important thing you can do. You know what? You can go off and make a billion dollars. You get to take nothing with you. But you work on your salvation and your faith, and you take that up to heaven. You take that to God. And you can say, look what I did with your son. Seek him, and you'll find him. Understand it's not too late. We all have that opportunity to come close. Right now, if you feel like you've been distanced, send up a prayer. God, please let me feel you today like never before. Let me just see how real you are. I know you love me. Show me you love me. Speak to me in something, some way, through a song, through a person, something. It's never too late. It wasn't for the two thieves on the cross when Jesus went to die. They were both there at the beginning blaspheming him, calling down curses on him, telling him he was worthless. He was a nothing. But then one said, maybe he is the son of God. Maybe he truly is who he said he is. And Jesus turned to him and said, you'll be with me in paradise. You're going to go with me when you die. It's never too late. I just want you to understand that you need to stand apart from the crowd. You have to ask for God's help. And if you do that, he can change your life for the better. Let me pray for you. God, you are so good, so kind, so loving, so patient, so willing to put up with so much from us. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to reach out to you, Lord, because we know that the time is short. And if we don't get it right, the people around us don't get it right. Lord, help us to be able to be bold about what we believe. Help us to be the committed followers that you desire. Help us to love you the way that we should, the way that you love us. Help our hearts to be changed, Lord. I pray that when he looks out and he sees our faces, that he sees those true followers, those that truly love him. Thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen.